episode six. Are you there, God? It's me. For your reference, Hebrews chapter 13, verses five through six. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Um, In some conversations that I had uh, ministering to people on this past week, um, there was sort of this theme of, you know, feeling like they, you know, were tired, like they, like their circumstances were, were either beginning to be too much or they've been too much. They, they just feel like, you know, it's, it's, uh, too much for them to handle. It's too much for them to bear. Um, oftentimes just feeling like they're alone, like they have no one to help kind of bear this burden. Um, and then even just, you know, the, like, you know, where's God in this? Like, uh, all of the things that, you know, you hear preached and you hear taught and you hear, hear ministered, but yet here I am in my situation, here I am in everyday life, um, you know, fighting to keep my faith, fighting to, you know, hold on to my belief in this God that everyone says can do all of these things, yet I'm in my own circumstances and I, and I'm drowning. And, um, and during one of the conversations, um, a, a book came to mind. Uh, it's a, it's a, a children's book. It's, it's pretty old. It's probably about, I don't know, 50 years old. Um, but the title of the book is, are you there God? It's me, Margaret. Um, it's a book written by Judy Bloom and it's about a sixth grade girl who is, um, trying to make sense of life as she knows it <laughs> as a 12 year old. Um, a 12 year old entering sixth grade and all of the different things that, you know, all of the, um, you know, tragedies and (laughs) trials and tribulations that you face, um, as a sixth grader, you know, she's, um, trying to navigate, um, the changes that are happening within her body and navigating friendship and navigating, um, you know, wanting a relationship with a boy. And, um, in the midst of all of this, she is, um, the daughter of, two parents who actually are not the same religion. So I believe her father was Jewish and her mom was a uh, Christian. Um, however, neither were necessarily uh, practicing in their faith, meaning that she was not exposed to um, what we, what we call or what we know as organized religion. Um, and amazingly, that was also something else that she was trying to navigate. Um, this sense of, um, you know, 
a, a, a religious, a organized single affiliation to a particular religion. So not being split between these two different, these two religions, which obviously, you know, have drastic differences. And then um, trying to navigate um, her understanding of God as a 12 year old. And so throughout the book and kind of like the catchphrase of the book is, are you there God? Because she actually spends a lot of time during the book talking to God. And so what you can look at it is she actually had a, a, a very active prayer life in which she spent a lot of time talking to God in her own way as a 12 year old, um, not even have had any guidance from her parents or, um, any guidance from her grandparents, her, her grandmother, I believe on her father's side was a, um, you know, was also a practicing uh, Jew. And then her, um, grandparents on her mother's side actually had kind of disowned her mom when her mom married her dad because of the fact that they were two different religions and her, um, grandparents, her mother's parents were devout Christians, um, very strict Christians. And so, um, despite all of this kind of confusion, she had established um, an active prayer life. And of course, as a child, she probably didn't realize that. But throughout the book, she spends a lot of time talking to God. And um, so as she's, you know, journeying through sixth grade, as she's journeying through, you know, these friendships, she's, she makes some friends with some girls. And um, then she, um, a project is assigned to school where she decides that she wants to try to get a better understanding of religion by studying these two religions and in a very, you know, practical way as a, as a, um, sixth grader, she decides that she wants to visit temple and then she decides she wants to go to church so that she could try to make a decision for herself of which one of these religions she wants to affiliate herself with and then therefore practice. Um, and so as she's going through the book and she's having these very, um, kind of, you know, kid friendly conversations with God, her mother's parents all of a sudden decide to come visit. Uh, it leads to a big argument about religion between them, her parents, and herself. And during this argument, um, she determines that, you know what, I don't need God. I don't need religion. I'm fine how I am. And she actually stops talking to God. So she stops praying. And then um, she kind of, you know, settles into this idea of not having a um, you know, not practicing and being affiliated to either particular religion. And then, um, ironically, some of those prayer requests that she had been making in the book regarding some, again, some very, you know, kid friendly thing. Like she, as a young girl, she wanted to develop breast, and, and as a young girl, she wanted, you know, her period because through these, uh, juvenile conversations with her friends, you know, this was the thing that happens when you enter middle school. Right. And so, um, you know, why not ask God? Because obviously she had developed some belief that he would be able to make it happen. And so, um, in the time period where she kind of had let go of, you know, talking to God and in, in this journey for, um, you know, trying to establish her, her faith or pick a religion, um, some of those prayers were answered. And so, you know, the, the book kind of ends with her saying, I know you're there, God. I know you wouldn't have missed this for anything. Thank you, God. Thanks an awful lot. And so ironically, we can learn a lot from Margaret, um, even though she's a kid um, 
and the book is a fiction book meaning that it's not real but it's loosely based on the life of the author so judy bloom herself um she actually writes about some of her experiences as a 12 year old sixth grader um her parents were the parents that one was jewish and the other was christian um but a lot of the book of course is you know made up but we there are still things that can be learned so at you know in one of the conversations that i had on this past week i thought about this book and i think there are you know things that that we can learn from margaret's experience experience um especially when we may be seeking to heal from things that we've experienced like how do we heal and how do we move forward because that's kind of like a two-step thing right we first have to well and I don't want to make it like it's linear like first you have to do this and then you do this because sometimes the two go hand in hand and so sometimes I move forward in life while I'm you know walking through my healing and so but as we seek these you know these two things we we want to heal from things that we've experienced things that we went through things that have been done to us and then sometimes things that we have done to ourselves um situations we've placed ourselves in situations that um have you know that we found ourselves in based on choices and decisions that we made so seeking healing wanting these you know, wanting this brokenness in us, we want to be made whole because when something is broken, it has to be fixed, it has to be restored, or we need it to be made whole. And so, and, and a lot of times in our case, it's all of those. Um, and then also, like, how do we move forward? How do we not allow um, the brokenness as we are actively seeking to be healed? How do we not allow? Um, the brokenness, the strongholds, this, you know, these mindsets that we may have, our perception and how we look at things based on what we've been through. How do we not allow that to become stumbling blocks or hindrances um, that prevent us from being able to move on in a healthy way? And then when we talk about merging this with our life of salvation, how do we do all of this and not lose faith in God? And then, of course, as we're trying to get over things and move forward, that doesn't mean that things are still happening. And so all of this, how do we do this and yet still hold on to our faith? Times when maybe we feel like we don't hear from God or we feel like, well, God can't be there because this is happening or the, this thing keeps happening or this isn't getting better. Like, how do we really um, gain understanding and rationalize and make it all merge together? <laughs> and so... um I jotted down a couple notes because I feel like, you know, this very, you know, simple example of this young girl can, it really, um, can form the basis of some very simple things in our, in our lives. And I, and I wrote some notes. And then the last thing that I wrote down in big letters was the word discipline, because as I was kind of writing through this and thinking through, you know, Margaret in the book and her experiences, and then the things we experience in life. Um, as I was, you know, kind of reflecting on my own experiences and then these, the, a few of the conversations that I had had this week, um, uh, something that kept coming to mind was discipline. Okay. So when we decide to accept Christ as our savior, and when we decide to become a follower of him, we now become one of his disciples. Um, and if we go into scripture, into the gospels, and we really pay attention to what was happening, um, as the disciples disciples followed him, 
he was teaching them amen he was teaching them um the, the scripture says take my yoke upon you and learn of me so he was teaching them his ways he was teaching him teaching them um how he looked at things he was teaching them and showing them what his expectations were what his commandments were how they were to proceed under this new thing called grace where before there was um you know an adherence to the law they were yoked with the bondage of the law um and and we're not talking about just the ten commandments like there's ten commandments but there were hundreds of laws and ordinances that god had put into place in the book of uh, leviticus and, and as the children of israel as they're proceeding through the wilderness and so now under the yoke of jesus they're moving away from and not that the law has done away with but jesus comes to fulfill the law because the law points out that we are flawed points out that we are sinful but jesus comes and he fulfills the law and that faith in him we don't have to be bound to the law anymore because now we're under grace and so um as his disciples they were they were in a position to be taught which means that they had to be teachable and so when we want things from god it, it that's fine but there it's a two-fold thing where we seek things from him but he also seeks things from us so he is willing to give us the desires of our heart amen he is willing to do the very things in the word that he said he would but they come with a condition so he has expectations of us he has things that he desires from us that he wants us to do and a lot of the times where we're finding our struggle is because we have not learned how to discipline ourselves part of being teachable is having discipline number one being willing to listen to the teacher and receive from the teacher and recognize that the teacher has something to give that we don't give us that we don't we don't possess we don't have and so when we look at this uh, student teacher relationship or this teacher disciple relationship we're recognizing and we're saying i don't have it so can you show me i don't know the way so can you show me I don't know how to do it. So can you teach me? And where we fall short and where we struggle is because it's like, okay, well, yeah, but I don't want to do it that way. And we may not consciously uh, say that or verbalize that, but our actions and how we move is that's exactly what we're saying because we don't think that that's the way it should be done or we don't agree that that's the way it should be done or we don't feel like we can do it that way or that we should have to do it that way so when jesus tells the you know the disciples you know take my yoke upon you let go of that yoke of bondage of the law and take my yoke upon you and learn of me they had to be willing to do so they had to be teachable and if you know anything about um you know when jesus first started choosing disciples there were people who he wanted to choose that didn't that didn't want to do it and 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 there's a story of a of a man in one of his parables where he says you know what do i have to do just tell me what i have to do to follow you and he tells the man go and sell all that you that you own and, and take up your cross and follow me and it says that the man went away and he was sad because he was rich and didn't want to so before we can really learn um from these examples in in this book um we have to be willing to right we have to be willing so before we can learn from jesus jesus example we have to be willing to we have to be willing to say i don't know how to do it i don't have it and you have it lord so show me amen and then 
then the the um, reassurance and the relief in this is that this walk is a process. It's a journey, as I've said in previous episodes. This is a journey. And so what we have to be comforted with is the idea that as we're trying to learn from him, as he teaches us, we take those things that he teaches us and we put them into practice. But that doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. And that doesn't mean that we don't fall. And that doesn't mean that we don't have to pick ourselves back up and try it all over again. And what we have is grace. Grace is available. Grace is says grace and mercy says I'm not going to give you what you deserve I, I love you so much that I am not going to give you the punishment or the wrath that you deserve when you do things that you shouldn't amen so what can we learn from Margaret well the first thing that I um that I put is that um our journey of salvation and our recognition of our need for him um is unique in very few senses but mainly in timing so when we come to Christ and how he deals with us it's unique to each and each one of us um it's our own individualized lesson plan it's our own individualized teaching strategy for us because he of course made us he created us and so he knows what we need um scripture tells us that we can't come to God until he draws us we can't come until he until he has declared that it is time and really we don't look for him i mean he doesn't look for us i'm sorry we don't look for him cuz he's not lost but um we 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 see he seeks us out so when he seeks us out when he's ready when is his time when he's ready to draw us now we have a choice to make now it's either and and you are going to know when the lord is calling you when he's drawing you when he's tugging at you no different than this tugging this um this question this burning question that margaret is feeling in the book where she she's like i i, I need some i need to have some or- organization to my religious affiliation and i gotta choose one my parents aren't really giving me any direction they didn't uh there was nothing that happened in the book no one told her that she needed this because when god is ready for you you're gonna know it you're gonna know his tug you're gonna know his pull but he doesn't force you at that point it becomes a choice so his timing and then how he chooses to deal with you he knows what each is each one of us needs he knows that some of us he he has to be a little more gentle he knows that with some of us he has to be firm and stern he knows that with some of us it you know one time and we've got it he knows that with some of us he has to have patience amen and so at the end of the day it is our choice and it is how we choose to respond to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, another thing that we can take away from Margaret. So um, when the when her maternal grandparents show up, now something happens that throws her off course, right? She had been on this path. She's having regular communication with God, um, you know, through prayer. She is, you know, seeking understanding of either two religions um through the school project that she's got going on so she's on this path she's seeking she's trying to figure it out 
along come the maternal grandparents and this whole argument and it completely throws her off course and that is something that we have to understand it happens to everybody it's going to happen when you get on this path where you're seeking God and you want to know him and you want to do it his way you want things from him but you're starting to learn and recognize and understand that he wants things from you as well and as he's trying to kill that flesh in you and I'll get to that in a minute but as he's trying to you know, really get you to take upon his yoke and learn of him and take on his ways. There's an enemy that doesn't want that. Okay. There, there's a force <laughs> that does not want that. And, um, Satan also had, he has a spirit and he has, you know, his forces that he sends out to do his, his bidding, so to speak. And, he does not want to see us come into relationship with God. He doesn't want us want to see us um, be able to uproot the strongholds and get rid of the bondage and really have an understanding of Christ so that we can walk in purpose because our purpose will always be designed towards spreading the gospel and giving God glory. And at the same time that these two things are happening, it is taken away from his kingdom. Satan and he doesn't want that and so we have to understand that there's always going to be forces his forces always like I talked about last week is working contrary to what God is trying to do he's trying to God is pulling us and Satan is trying to push us in a direction that is opposite of God and so the weapons and the strategies are are going to vary and so just like uh, the Lord deals with each one of us individually and accordingly Satan in the same uh, idea, he knows how to craft things according to us, according to the experiences that we've had, the hurts that we've had. He knows what gets to us. He knows how to get us. He knows how to get us off focus. He knows how to knock us off track. And we have to be diligent and we have to be mindful. And that's why the word is always telling us to be watching and to be praying because we have to keep that in mind as we travel this journey and as we're trying to heal and trying to grow and learn and um, elevate in God we can never lose sight of the fact that there is an enemy who is fighting us every chance he gets to knock us off course he wants us to give up he he's working to get us to lose hope he wants he's working his big one is to get us to get tired he wants to make us weary which is one of the reasons why one of the main scriptures that i referenced um, for this episode is the isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 through 31 where it says that even the youth you know when we think of young people we think of you know youth uh, youthfulness and energy and strength and you know just the ability to just go 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 but the scripture says that even the youth even the young men get weak even they get tired Amen. The enemy is constantly throwing things at us. He's constantly um, trying to battle and war against us all so that we will let go of our faith. And I say that all the time because it's the truth. When we start to lose faith, amen, when we start to believe that God either is not there or he's not listening or he doesn't care, when we start to uh, believe those things or if the enemy is able to just get us to be tired, tired of the the battle and the war to continue in God and to and to be st continue steadfast in the faith if he can just get us to get tired or get us to just let go now he can shift us into a place amen where now he can have his way it's he his design is to get us to, to you know 
uh, go backwards. His design is to get us, as the word says, backslide. He wants to get us to turn. Because remember, when you repent, repenting is not just a mindset change. It's not just asking God to forgive you. But like that Second Chronicles chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 14 says, turn from your wicked ways. That's what repentance is. Not only do you ask for forgiveness, not only do you recognize you've sinned or, you know, you've made this error and that you have to ask for forgiveness, but then you also have to turn away from that. Satan is doing the same thing. He's working against you and fighting against you and throwing everything that he can at you to get you to turn away from God and back to him to get you off course. And sometimes he wants to shift us just a little bit. If he could just shift us a little bit, if he can get us distract, distracted, if he can get us like Margaret where we're not praying as much as we used to, if he can get us where we're not reading our word or not relying on the word or not relying on prayer. Like, yeah, we listen to our gospel music and yeah, we might listen to a sermon here or there, but we're, do we have an, like Margaret, do we have an active prayer life? Do we try to spend, you know, time in the scripture? And even if it's just 10 minutes every day. 10 minutes every day of finding the scripture, reading that scripture, asking God to show you what does it mean or how can I apply it to my life? And then the key to it is doing what the word says, putting the word into action. So not like we struggle with how to apply this to our life, but the way we learn to apply it to our life is to apply it to our life is we have to do what the scriptures say when we find ourselves picking and choosing or maybe there's a lack of understanding so I was like eh, I don't really know about that one so I, I don't know about that when we when we're not actively applying scripture to life to our life then we find application difficult right we find that we we feel like we're not hearing from God but I I wrote here um getting a little ahead of my ahead of myself these are his words the scripture tells us that he the scripture is the inspired word of god that he breathed his word into holy men who wrote wrote his word wrote down his word so these are the words of god and if we're unwilling to take time to at least expose ourselves to a scripture a day a verse a day or a verse of verse or two a, a day then that is one way that we're going to feel like where is God where is he I don't hear from him he doesn't speak to me I don't know what he wants I don't know what to do when he has it all here and if you if you just learn because if if you discipline yourself this is a discipline if you learn to discipline yourself then you will start to see that he is always there you might there are times where he steps back there are times where he where we have to take what we're learning and we have to apply it no different than a teacher in a classroom. I teach students a concept. I model and show them Jesus was our example. And then I step back and now I got to watch them show me that they've learned it. God is no different. He gives us the written word. He gives us, a, he gave us the ultimate example, but then he gives us uh, pastors and preachers and ministers and teachers and, uh, you know, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But then there are certain times where we've got to walk this thing out. Amen. We've got to live this thing. We've got to put it into practice. When we find ourselves in situations, we've got to take the word. We've got to remind ourselves of the word and we've got to use it. And like I, I've said before with scripture, um, as much as you can hear it in church and you can hear someone teach it and preach it and testify about it, but it becomes real to you when it applies to your life and your experiences. This word becomes living, a living 
um, word to you when you can see it in your life, when you can see it in your situation, when you can say, oh, now I know what John 3.16 means because I felt the love of God. Or, oh, I know what Psalms 27 and 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Because he showed me through my experiences. This is one of the main places that he speaks to us through his word. If we just take time and it's going to take discipline. No different than uh, practicing anything else. You're not going to know how to really put this into practice until you actually practice it. (laughs) Amen. We've got to actually do it. And this is how we defeat the enemy. This is how we war back against him when he's doing these things to try to get us to let go of our faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse uh, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering for he who promises is faithful. So all of the promises of God are yea and amen. All of the things that he's told us is yea and amen. It, all we have to do is we have to hold on to the faith in him that what he's told us is true. We have to hold on to our faith in him that what he said he's going to do is for real. Amen. And so that is something that um, keeping in mind that we have this enemy that is battling us. We have to keep that in mind. Another thing that we can take away from Margaret is her active prayer life. Amen. And um, if you <laughs> if you know anything about this book, then you already know her conversations with God were very, you know, like I said, very childlike, very elementary, nothing eloquent, no fancy words. God wants the same thing from us. Prayer is a conversation. In order to pray, you got to talk to God. And I know that there are some people that are that would disagree with what I'm about to say. But I, I believe that when we try to give people, um, you know, imagery of what prayer looks like, what it sounds like, what it, sh- what it should look like, what it should sound like, what it should feel like, and people feel like they're not able to do that or live up to that, it discourages them from even trying you don't have to be on your knees every time you pray. Are there times where you should humble yourself and get on your knees? Absolutely. When you hear people talk about like laying prostrate before the Lord, are there times where you you will, you know, fall on your face and, you know, be laid out before the Lord and, you know, probably in tears and everything else? Absolutely. But prayer is a lifestyle. Amen. It it is something you do, but it it is something that has to that has to be a part of you. I remember um, being a kid and I remember I used to hear, you know, adults talk about how God was all they thought about. And, you know, they woke up with him on their mind and they went to sleep with him on their mind. And he was on their mind all throughout the day. And then I also remember hearing them say how, you know, they they were always praying, always praying. And in my in my childlike mind, I'm thinking like, well, how are you always praying if you got to go to work and if you got to take care of your kids and if you got to do. But I learned. Amen. I learned that when you pray and when you truly pray, it becomes a part of you. And it is possible to to pray all day long and be in the middle of washing dishes. And as you stand at that sink and you don't even have to say it out loud. You could be at that sink in a full conversation, but in your heart, you're praying. You can be in a conversation with somebody. And as you're in a conversation, you're praying, Lord. As you're listening to whatever they're saying, you know, maybe they're looking for advice or whatever, Lord, you know, give me what to say and how to say it, Lord. I'm asking right now that you you do what they need, you know, need to be done. Driving in your car is a perfect time to pray, especially if you ever get time in there alone. That's the perfect time to pray. So 
you don't always have to be, it's not going to always be a situation where you're on the side of your bed on your knees with your hands folded and head bowed. Sometimes you're standing in front of a classroom of kids and as they're having morning meeting and you're hearing them talk about their horrible weekend and the, my brother got shot and this, that, and the third, as you stand and listen, you're praying in your heart. It when, um There's the, the, the old hymn that says, um, let us have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him, tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. And then there's a part of the song that talks about keeping the prayer wheel turning. I, I didn't understand as a kid what that meant, but I understand now. So when we're talking about, you know, God, are you there? Like Margaret said, you know, towards the end of the book, oh, I know you there. I know you was there. I know you wasn't going to miss out. He's not looking to miss anything in your life. Like I said last week, he is concerned about the very hairs on the top of your head. He has numbered the hairs, the very hairs on your head. And so he's always listening. Like the hymn says, he will hear your faintest cry. Um, I, I put out a status on Facebook on Sunday uh, morning, you know, just asking if anyone was looking for prayer. And um, so many people, they liked it and, and didn't, you know, they didn't type a word. I took that as a, as a prayer. As, yeah, I agree. I want prayer, but I ain't going to tell you. I, I may not necessarily want to tell you what I need prayer for. Or even times where people are like, you know, can you just pr- pray that, that God will hear, hear my heart? Like that song says, he hears even your faintest cry. And like the scripture says, he, he he hears the very meditations of your heart. So even when you are not praying out loud, oh, holy God, you prayer doesn't always have to be that. If you're led to pray that way, great. But prayer can simply be, Lord, now you know I'm struggling with this. And Lord, you're going to have to help me because I just don't know what it is you want me to do. God, God honors that. God honors that. He hears that. Now, the thing that I, I always remind people of prayer is a conversation. So if as with any conversation, we don't want to be the one dominating it, right? As much as we want to talk to him and as much as we want to tell him our request and, you know, ask him for certain things, we have to find, we have to learn, we have to discipline ourselves so that he can show us how to listen so that sometimes prayer you you're you're going into you know your worship and you're thanking him and you know um there there is a there's a model for prayer we all know the lord's prayer there is a model but it that follows a, a very simple formula we start off with adoration and telling god how good he is and how awesome he is and you're you know you're you're great and you're greatly to be praised and then after adoration then how I do, I go into asking for forgiveness for my sins because before I ask you for anything, Lord, before I make my petitions and my requests known to you, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for my sins. And so, you know, we give our adoration of him. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. Um, I thank him for the things that he's done for me. And then I make my requests known, whether it's for me or whether it's for somebody else. But there has to be some space, amen, where we allow God to speak. Where, he, where we give him the floor. And so not only does he speak to us through his written word, but he will speak to us in prayer too. And that can look many different ways. It may not be, you know, it's not going to, it's not usually never going to be this loud booming voice because the voice of God, the word says it is a, a, a small, a, a still quiet voice. 
Amen. And so that's why you got to train yourself to listen for it because you've got the noise of the world and you've got the noise of your mind and you've got the, the big mouth of Satan where there's this small, quiet voice that you sometimes you you just in your spirit, you feel like this is what's being said to you. You feel like this is what's being whispered to you. And I've had experiences where I know that he's whispered in my ear. He can minister to you through a song. He can minister th through you to a person. And so as we, you know, make our requests known to him and we, you know, cry out to him, be looking for the answer. It may not come right there during that time of prayer. He may answer you 10 minutes down the road, you're in the car, and now this song that came on and it's like, oh, they're going to answer right there. And, and trust me, you will know. You will know when he's answering you. You will know when he's speaking to you. I like to believe, even though, again, this book is fiction, but it's based on this author's life. I believe that she knew that God was showing her and trying to tell her something and tried to lead, trying to lead her um, in a, down a certain path. Same thing for us. Um, a big part of salvation is a relationship with God. Not the do's and the don'ts and thou shalt not and you cannot. It's a relationship. It's coming into relationship with God. It's learning him. He knows us. He knows the very number of the hairs on our head. So now it's our turn to learn him and to learn his ways and to spend time with him and to um, adore and praise him so that he can then speak back to us and talk to us and show us. And, and he starts off by answering prayer. No, no different than with Margaret. He starts off with, by answering prayer. But then there's going to come a time where he wants to deepen the level of your faith. He wants to test and try and prove your faith. And so then he tells you to wait. Sometimes you got to wait. Answer isn't always no. Sometimes you've got to wait. And I want to go back to um, the Isaiah scripture where it says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. We have to learn how to wait for him. We have to trust and have faith and believe and and endure whatever it's happening, waiting for him to do what he said, like Hebrews 10 and 23 said, for he that is for he that has promised is faithful. And so we have to really believe that even when we can't see Hebrews 11 and one. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. And I'm, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place in my notes, but, um, I, what I said as we as we say you know as we say God are you there he always shows up he told us that he will never leave us nor forsake us he is always there and he's there to fight our battles for us yes he has equipped us to wage warfare but there are sometimes we sometimes we fight in battles that he, he doesn't mean for us to fight and a lot of the times we fight in them battles with our mouth so like the word says, sometimes he wants us to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, or he wants us to be still and know that he is God. And that doesn't just mean like stand still, don't move. And within um, Old Testament scripture, the children of Israel always found themselves in a battle. They always found themselves um, waging war against someone or someone waging war against them. And God um, would tell them, you know, do not fear stand still and what that meant was stop trying to come up with the battle plan stop trying to come up with the battle strategy stop trying to figure out how you can manipulate this so that to your advantage so that you can get the win close your mouth sometimes our battles are lost because we talk too much we give away 
our what we're thinking or or whatever to the enemy and he hears you running your mouth and now he's altered his strategy and altered his plan because you didn't just stand still you didn't cast it at the savior's feet you didn't put it in his hands and then stand still and see his salvation stand still and see him come to your rescue amen and in a lot of those battles they were outmanned they were outnumbered the 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 um their opponents had better weapons than them let's look at david and goliath total i mean perfect situation of he was goliath was bigger than him stronger than him taller than him he had you know mighty weapons at his disposal and david david had a slingshot <laughs> but the difference the difference maker was that david had god on his side and so while yes he physically had to fight but he fought under the direction and leading in the guidance of the lord again our struggle and where we fail is that we sometimes where we can't see him working um as the song says um even if i can't see you see it i know you're working even if i can't feel it i know you're working well part of where we struggle with that is because we we want to see um we want to see him do it our way it's like no he can't be doing it because this ain't looking the way i thought it was gonna look our thoughts our opinions our expectations etc and so now we drift off of you know you know waiting for him trusting in him have keeping that hope keeping that faith holding holding fast to the confession of our faith because it's not looking the way we thought it would and it's not things aren't going how we thought they would go or how we thought they should go or what we think he should do or how we think he should maneuver no sometimes he has us in the place because that's where he wants us he put he put um 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 um, excuse me, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego went right where he wanted them. He had them right where he wanted them. He put Daniel in the lion's den because that's where he wanted them. He had the children of Israel in the wilderness because that's where he wanted them. But in every situation, who was there? Amen. Who met them in their situation? Who came to their situation? Who was in the midst of their situation? How many times do we see um, in the gospels that Jesus was there in the midst of the storm. Amen. He showed up in the midst of the storm. So, so many times we're, we're praying and we're saying, well, we don't think God is there because we, we want, we're expecting him to just make the clouds and the, and the rain and the storm go away. And now there's sun and everything's great. When he's saying, no, I am waiting for you to invite me into the storm. I am, I'm a lot of times I'm standing right next to you in the storm where you all you can focus on is the storm, but you ain't realizing that you're making it. That even though everything around you is chaotic, you surviving in the storm. Yeah, you tired. Yeah, you worn down. But guess what? Like this says, to the, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. When I was in a situation last, uh, last year, oh man, I felt so down, so weak, so broken, so hurt. And then, um, someone from my church, she, she tagged me in that on my Facebook post, that scripture. And it was amazing how at times when I felt like I, I was at my week, weakest, he would bring that scripture back to mind. He would, and, and this scripture for me connects to the scripture in second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, where it says that my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. So a lot of the times we're, when we're in these situations and circumstances and we're going through, he has, he has the grace for you to go through if you do it his way. 
Um, there's a scripture in, uh, I think in Job that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And if it's not in Job, it's in Psalms. So I'm sorry. But it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the, the righteous. So when we are endeavoring to do it God's way, and we can be real with ourselves. We know when we are truly trying to pursue after God and his will and his way and when we're not. If, um, and I think it's Matthew, we, he, he doesn't want us lukewarm. He doesn't want a form of godliness. He doesn't want us saying it out of our mouth, but it's not in our heart. Where we're really not trying to make changes to our lifestyle, changes to the company that we keep, changes to you know who we have around us and what they're involved in. He knows. And so this says many are the afflictions of the righteous. It doesn't say the perfect. It says the righteous, having a right mindset, having a um, thinking of things in a godly manner, wanting to do things in a godly way. It, but it don't say perfect. It says righteous. Many are the many are the afflictions of the righteous. So when you are righteous and when you're trying to do things the right way, you you're gonna experience things. You're gonna go through things, and even when it's things that you've caused, you've brought upon yourself, he'll take what's amen for evil and he'll work it for your good. But if you are in a if you are living a life that is practicing sin he he's not obligated to you i say it all the time when we are trying to do it god's way he's obligated to you he is obligated to uh uh stand by his promises that he's made it says he who has promised is faithful he's obligated to be faithful meaning he is obligated to keep that promise he's obligated to deliver on it but if you're not trying to live a life that's righteous he's not obligated to you it says that he reigns on the just as well as the unjust, meaning he can do what he will if you're not righteous. But when you're when you're seeking him and seeking after his will and his way, he got, he has to keep his promises because the word says that God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't tell a lie. So he's not going to make a promise and then not stand by it. And there's, there's so many scriptures in the Old Testament where... Um, you know, the prophets that he was dealing with would say, well, Lord, no, you can't do that because you got it because it, it's a dishonor to your name. Your his name throughout the, the earth is known as savior, the one who delivers, the one, the one who can do all things but fail. So he he has to move when you're righteous. He has to move in a certain way that he stands by what he said he'll do. And so. These are things that we have to keep in mind when it starts to feel like, you know, we can't see him working. When it starts to feel like we we don't we don't feel like he's moving. We don't feel like he's working. He always is, because like that song says, he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. And when you find yourself in your dark places and your dark spaces, he's that light. He is the, that bright and morning star. So like Margaret realized at the end of the book, yes, he's there. He has to be there because what he promised you is that he would never leave you or forsake you. And that even though I quoted Hebrews chapter 13, that's actually a, um, so Hebrews chapter 13 actually quoted from Deuteronomy again in the Old Testament where he let the children of Israel know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You are my people. And so as my people, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The family can come and go. Friends can come and go. Your man, your husband can come and go. And God forbid, children can come and go. 
but I'll never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I will be with you until the end. Amen. And in order for us to see what the end is going to be, when if I flip back to um, those who wait upon the Lord, we have to endure. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance. So after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So we want God to answer and, and, and honor all of these things that he said he was going to do. But guess what? Like I said, as a, as a, um, as a Gentile, it's a condition. You've got to endure. You've got to persevere. You have to press through it. You've got to keep pushing. And how you do that, how the children of Israel did, did that. So when they would find themselves in these situations of battle, amen, where they're outnumbered, they're outmanned, ill-equipped, unsure, can't see their way out, they tied, all of, all of the things that we experience, amen, all of those things that we experience. And ironically, Jesus has experienced all of them too. He, if you go into, you know, the, uh, the gospels, um, there were times where he was seemed outnumbered and he seemed outmanned. There were times where he was unsure when he says, um, father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. He was unsure. Like you sure that's what you want me, want me to do, but not my will, but your will be done. But yet and still, because there's a scripture that says that um, he has been touched with our infirmities. We have an advocate who knows who has been touched with our weaknesses. Even though he he was God, he has been touched with our infirmities. He knows that he can advocate fully on our behalf because he knows the, the struggles we face. He knows what it feels like to to be unsure, to not see like you have a way out, to be tired. To, to cry he cried in the garden of gethsemane but uh back to the old testament when the when the children of israel would find themselves in these positions where they would be in battle they didn't know what the plan was they didn't know what 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 like what the strategy was going to be or how, and there were times where god you know he showed them or told them you know exactly what to do but that was only after they expressed their trust in him expressed their faith in them expressed that um, they had faith in the, in him, even though they couldn't see. And how they did that was they had to recall that he's always been faithful, that regardless of what they had going on, because they, they con were continuously disobedient, but he was always faithful. He always kept his promise. He always delivered them out of their many afflictions. He always they were always able to see his salvation in battle and it, they had to remind themselves of these things and not only that but a lot of times they would stand in the face of their enemy and tell the enemy as well like do you not know who my god is my god who has always been there my god who has always delivered my all god who has always shown up on time i'm quite sure they probably want to say i don't know exactly how this is about to happen but i know he's gonna show up i don't know when i don't know where i don't know how but i know that he will and that's what he would do. That's exactly what he would do. And in the times where they thought that they knew better, or they thought they had the better battle plan, or they thought it should go this way, just like a Saul, <laughs> perfect example, where he was told to go in um, to the Amalekites, and he was told, God told him to kill everything moving. Kill their dog, kill their cat, kill their animals, kill their children, their wives, their mamas, everybody. Don't leave nothing leave living. And when you do, burn everything up. Saul thought he knew better. And he said, well, no, let's keep the best of everything. Let's keep the best animals. Let's keep the strongest men. Let's keep, you know, let's get the gold and the silver and this, that, and the other. And do you know what the consequence for that was? 
he lost his anointing. He he was he was moved out of the place of being king, which opened up the throne for David. And so in the times where the children of Israel thought they knew better and they thought that they had the better way, they were often defeated. They were they were not victorious. That left them being discouraged. And the same thing for us. We think we know best. We think we got it in our hands on how to handle it. We're praying and asking God to help us. But then we over here trying to manipulate it to go the way we think it should go. And we putting our mouth on it and all kind of foolishness. And then we're wondering why things are not turning around for us. We're wondering why God is not moving um, and things are not getting better. And we can't, you know, um, we, we can't feel relief. Amen. Well, it's because we don't know how to step back, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. When they learn to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, when they learn to let God have his way, they were always victorious. They were always um, ahead of the game. They always got the victory. Amen. And that's the same thing for us. Um, so as disciples, a big piece of that is learning to discipline ourselves, learning to do it his way, learning to let go, learning to let go of control. And unfortunately, if we're not willing to discipline ourselves, then, then God can't work with us. He can't do it because he, he doesn't force us. It's a choice. It is a choice. Now, one thing that he doesn't do is he doesn't give up on us. But if we decide to continue in a certain pattern of thinking that we know best and we got it and we keep making our foolish choices and decisions, the word says that he will turn us over to a rep It said he will turn us over to a reprobate mind. He will turn us over to that mind that we have. So if we think you got it, cool. <laughs> God will step back and he'll let you have at it. But that's not the way we want to do it. When we are broken and hurting and in need of healing, and then we, we got stuff still coming at us at the same time, but we know that there's purpose. We know that there's destiny. We know that God has greater, whatever that may be, job-wise, relationship-wise, or even um, higher calling and purpose in him to do the work of the Lord. We can't go that route. We have to, at some point, surrender. We have to be willing to willingly say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't have the plan. I don't have the strategy. Can you show me? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? In that scripture, it says, um, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get tired of you. He might get tired of your foolish choices, but he loves you too much to turn his back on you. He, he will not give up on you. So he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get tired of, you know, having to deal with all of us and our many prayer requests. Like I said yesterday in uh, my live prayer that um, his ear is not so heavy that he can't hear you. Like, th like that scripture said, he, I mean, like that song said, he hears your faintest cries. And then it says his understanding is unsearchable, meaning his wisdom. He know he knows what's best for you. He knows how to handle your situation. He knows how to get you out of situations. Amen. He know uh, the word says that he has declared the uh, end from the beginning. So he already knows what's going to happen and how it's going to work out. He knows if you're going to trust him or not. But he he still leaves that choice up to you. So is he there always? He's always there. He's always listening. But will, but will you seek him out? Will you hear him out? Will you do it his way? And so, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. 
we give you the glory, Lord, and we magnify your name. We ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you will help us to see your hand in every area of our life, that you will help us to begin to see you in everything, to to know that you are there, to be comforted and reassured with the fact that you will never leave us or forsake us, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Father God, we also ask that you will, um, we, we want to let go of our yokes of bondage and we want to take your yoke and learn of you. Teach us, oh God, teach us your ways, teach us in a plain path lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake father god help us to meditate in your word day and night teach us oh god how to study your word teach us lord how to read your word teach us father god as you told the disciples as the disciples asked you teach us how to pray and so you taught them saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, I just ask that you will touch everyone who listens, everyone who will listen, Father God, and that you help them in their situations and in their broken spaces and in their broken places. These things and all things in Jesus name we ask. Amen. Be blessed, be encouraged, and know that he is always with you.